able to come today and be able to sing and to praise and to hear God. It's been another hard week. I think one for the record books. But we meet every Sunday in order to worship. To worship. You know, sometimes we come and, and we look at worship as a precursor to the message. I know that never happens here, but, but sometimes. And, and other times, you know, hey, if we just get through this singing stuff and, and we just get through this praying stuff, let's just get the word and, and that's what I need. You know, one of the things that I think we forget, and I just want to remind you, is that because life is so hectic and life is so busy and life is so discouraging at times, maybe for ourselves and for our loved ones, that we forget to say thank you. We forget to adore our God. And just so grateful for all that He has done. So many times with younger children, you have to remind them over and over and over and over and over again to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. What do you say? Thank you. But I think we as adults sometimes forget. Maybe the first thing out of our mouths every morning is, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the rest Thank you for the challenges you're going to give me. Thank you, God, for you. For I get to do today with you. And sometimes if you can sing, you sing. And if you're in a crowded room, sometimes your voice gets muffled a little bit so that no one really hears how good of a singer you are. But you just thank God for who he is. And that's what worship is all about. Yeah, we want to teach families to know and obey and enjoy Christ. And that's all important. But we start off every Sunday as a community, just thank you, God, in praise and in worship. You know, last week we cracked open Second Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, has been in the trenches for more than 30 years. If anybody has earned the right to be heard, Peter has. Peter wanted, at the very end of our text last week, wanted everybody to grow in their faith so that they might someday be, well, Welcomed into glory or heaven in an unbelievable way. In verse 11, the way that I see it is that God wants every one of you to have a parade once those pearly gates open. So we're going to start right from there. I've asked Willie to read the scriptures for us today. And if you would, turn your Bibles or your flash screens to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start right at verse 12. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. 
For we were not making up clever stories when we, were, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. <clears throat> you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and a Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Let's pray. Father, we ask at this time that you would just open our hearts. We pray, Father, that the words that are spoken from this pulpit uh, are not confusing, that they are your words, that they convict us and encourage us and strengthen us. We pray, Father, for all those different churches that are up and down Rand Road and in our neighborhood. We thank, Father, of my friend um, Jeff Pittman over at the Chapel McHenry. And we pray, dear God, that you would strengthen him and encourage him. I think of Jeff Knitt, Father, in Crossview Church. I ask you, Lord, that you would be with um, Edge Church in Fox Lake Community Church. Father, I even think of my friend Dave Abaticola, who... Um, just lost his brother, and is back in Arizona and will be speaking his first message to a sister church of ours. I pray, dear God, that you would give him great power and authority, and that as he focuses on the scripture in spite of the circumstances and situations in his life, that your word would be powerfully proclaimed. Father, do something special today. Not because of a message, and not because of an illustration, but because your Holy Spirit is so active. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. I'd like to go right to verse 12, 13, 14, and 15. We're going to read that again. Paul says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Peter unapologetically wants to remind each of these believers about God's truth. Specifically, he's talking about verses 1 to 4. He desired these folks, as his last words, to be reminded to, Hey, grow. You need to develop that relationship with the Lord Jesus, and you need to grow in your intimacy with him. If you do, you're going to be living godly lives, or lives that matter, or lives that count, or lives that are invested well. 
And part of your living these godly lives is for you to know and to claim God's great and precious promises. You see, sometimes, whether it's because we forget or we haven't read certain portions of Scripture, we get really excited because we think there's a new truth. Well, technically, um, contrary to the beliefs of some, there really is no such thing as brand new spiritual truth. It's in this word. We get it. We need to understand it. We need to open it. We need to allow it to transform our lives. But the time is really short. Not only for Peter, but really for all of us. Peter wants these folks to understand truth because they're going to need it in the days ahead. But his time is short, as has been mentioned. But realistically, I just want to say, I think all of our time is short. Over these last few months, I've had messages about a 40-year-old young dad dying instantly while biking up in the Colorado mountains. Had another young dad 53 years old, die of a heart attack. Another one, 59 years old, all of a sudden he felt a little bit of a lump on his leg. And six months later, he's with his Lord. Now this is nothing new for any of us. But realistically, we don't know whether we drive home today if that's going to be our last trip home. Our life is short. And Peter knew it. For some reason, God revealed this to him. And he knew his time wasn't, well, too long in the planet here. And he says, I just want to remind you again. This is so critical. Please hear my heart. Then Peter emphasizes over and over just some basic things. You know, Moses only wrote one psalm, at least that we know of that was recorded. In Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses said this, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so we may grow in wisdom. So Peter writes, it's a little bit unusual, but he is working exceptionally hard to help them remember. It's critical only because each one of us have short memories. He said, working hard to help others remember after you're gone is much harder. You know, when you're around, you can nag. That's kind of a negative way to remind people, right? Or you can encourage them, or you can help people focus, or you can remind them, would you say thank you? What do you say? And we go through all those scenarios when you're around. But when you're not around... You don't have that influence. You're not in somebody's face. And Peter knew that, so he wanted to work a little bit harder. What does that actually look like? Well, actually, it looks like when you send your college freshman away for college. It just gives you a little bit of a glimpse, actually. But you've spent 18 years pouring into this individual. 
teaching them when to say thank you, when to be grateful, how to write thank you notes, how to behave in school, what their work ethic is, and hopefully more than anything, how to love God with all their hearts and share with others this amazing love. But then they get in that car, or you drive them, and you drop them off at the dorm. And then maybe you see them at Thanksgiving, depending on where they go. But this is kind of reality check right now. All of a sudden, they don't have to call you when they get up, or when they come in, or if they're doing their homework, or all this begins to go through your mind. Did I prepare them well? So they might be responsible students while I'm away. Now the truth is, yes, you have phone calls and text messages and all these different things and FaceTime and yes, you can continue to connect. What Peter really is saying is this. It's not even like dropping somebody off at college. It's like I'm going to be leaving this planet. I'm going to work really, really hard so that you remember what I've shared with you and what the scriptures say. Let me put it this way. Many of you have flown on planes, and there is a flight attendant that comes down the aisle, and right before the plane takes off, they go through uh, a litany of things. But one of the things that happens is that they show you the um, oxygen. And they just give you this instruction. If the oxygen masks drop, and I've never heard them say, please don't panic. But if the oxygen masks drop, first of all, you take it, put it on you, and then if you have younger children or someone who needs assistance, then you can help them. The principle is this. If you're knocked out cold, you can't help anybody. All right? You need that oxygen first. And I think really what Peter is saying over and over again is, number one, the relationship with God is absolutely critical. You will never be able to influence or help anybody if you do not have a rich relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Your intimacy is critical, and if you walk with God, you listen to God, you're in sync with God, all of a sudden when people bump you, Jesus spills. All right? Not all the time, but most of the time, because you are filled to the brim with who God is. And so it's critical if you're going to leave a legacy, if you're going to work hard with others, that you stay connected with God because he's going to teach you what to talk about. He's going to teach you what your priorities are. He's going to help you and give you insights that you never would be able to do. It's critical for every parent with young children. But literally, it's critical for every one of us. We then talk about what is important, not urgent. So many times, if we're not in connection with God, if we're not having an intimate relationship, we talk about flooding. And honestly, flooding is important sometimes. I, I get that. 
or the Cubs and the Sox, who are going to be playing this week. Hopefully, though, Cub fans do not get discouraged after this. But as you go through this, what, what is it that you literally speak and talk about? What's important to you? Well, if you stay connected with God, you know what's important, and you're able to share that. You know, sometimes in, in the old days, we used to take snapshots on vacation. And if, if you really go back, and I guess this is making a little bit of an, a, a, a resurgence, the Polaroid was kind of a cool camera. You would point, shoot, boom, and you'd have that photo, man. It would be like, whoa, is this cool? Then you'd put it, you'd bring it home. Hey, what did you do at Disney World? Whoa, this is what I did. Well, things are a lot different now. But the principle is still the same, whether it's your phone or whether you have a nice SLR camera or whatever, you're taking pictures. And it's always easy to be able to share people about your adventure if you have photo albums or pictures that you might be able to show. And if you're really sharp, you not only just take pictures, but you put them in albums. Sometimes you can print them out. Sometimes they're digital albums. But, but the idea is, is that if you want to tell a story, if you want to remember something, you want to remember details, you show a picture. All right? And I think that's really what Peter is saying. He's saying, hey, I want you to understand that I want to leave an album so that you remember all of God's truths and the journey we had together. And I want you to understand how important it is for you not only to remember, but to pass all this on. So how do you and I work really hard to remember? We record, we revisit, and we reminisce. We talk a lot about our stories, the good ones and the bad ones. Now, sometimes, especially preachers, love living on the edge and tell you all the heroic and scary and stupid things they do, all right? Realistic, every one of us do scary and stupid things. But hopefully, you've done some things where you really listen to God well, and you'll be able to share that with others in generations that, you know what, when I listen to God, this is what happened. Now, this is what happened isn't always perfect. This is what happened doesn't always mean you have money in your bank account. This is what happened isn't always life with no problems. But you talk about life with God. And how his presence makes all the difference in the world. It's interesting if you read, and you can stick this in your notes. We're not going to take time to do it, but I thought I'd say something here. In 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29, David is really concerned about his son Solomon. And what David does, he sets up Solomon well to um, do the task that God has given Solomon. That was build a temple. So he gets all the material, he works hard on it so that when David dies, Solomon will be able to build the temple well. But what he also does is go over all the instructions with Solomon again. 
says, Solomon, let me remind you of some things that are really, really, really important. I'm going to be gone soon, but this is critical. Read through those two chapters. It's magnificent how David set up his son Solomon so that he might be an amazing king. And by the way, he was an amazing king until the very latter days when he didn't listen to his father. So we want to work hard at reminding others what is important. One of the things that I uh, have a little bit of commitment with one of the gentlemen um, in this vast congregation is to journal. Oh my word, am I terrible at this. I mean, we can call this a diary. I, I don't care what you call it, you know. All I want to do is every day put down what God did in my life. I want to share the blessings. I want to share what God has done in and through me. What is my problem? So I try to do it electronically. I try to do it handwritten. I try to, it just doesn't matter. I know this is critical. Now, my guess is I'm still not going to be the ace journaling diary dude, okay? But I think I can do better. I do. And I'm going to work on that because it's really important for me while I'm here on this planet to help others who are going to be left behind someday. Say, hey, what was really important to Rick? Another way is, and I've shared this a few times, is I buy a new Bible every single year. And what I do with this new Bible is I read through it and I begin to mark. And I have this unbelievable, unique marking system. It's really not that hard because I'm kind of a simple guy. But at the end of the year, what I do is put that aside and say, okay, this is for my grandson Joshua, or this is for my granddaughter Becca, because long when grandpa's gone, I want her or him to know what really is important to me. What are the verses that shouted? What are the scenarios and situations that that I needed? I want them to be able to have that. So what do you do? What do we do? The the truth is, Peter said, I've got some wisdom. It's taken me all so many years. But I want to pass that on. I'm going to work hard so that when I am gone, there are going to be people who will still be encouraged as a result of my life and what I've learned. Peter also says this, I want you to remember Jesus' stories. Jesus' stories. Look at verse 16. For when we were not making up clever... I'm sorry. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves, Peter said, heard that voice from heaven, and when we were with him on that holy mountain. You know, the Jesus story is amazing and critical for each one of us to understand. 
one of the geniuses in reading through the Bible in the plan that we've tried to encourage many of you to jump into is every day you have an opportunity to read from some of the wisdom literature in the Bible. You have an opportunity to read from some of the history portion of the Bible. Every day you have an opportunity to read from the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus. And every day you get an opportunity to read part from the epistles. And you can get that reading plan, if you don't have it, out in our uh, display right there. But what's cool about that is that daily you're getting fed the stories of Jesus. Jesus' birth and life and death, his post-resurrection appearances and his ascension are unbelievable. He left a wake of awe wherever he went. He was able to rub elbows with sinners and publicans, the greatest creeps of society, to love them and yet not condone their actions. He gave words of life He was called the bread of life. He healed and he raised people from the dead. He shared with them messages that would transform people back then and today. His power and authority and leadership and lessons and example were off the scales. He spent three years with Jesus. And it's kind of interesting to me that Peter would bring up one example. It it wasn't Peter walking on the water. Like, if I'm Peter, I'm going like, I'm going to bring one example of a really cool Jesus story. And if you remember that storm, and okay, we're not going there. But that's what I would have shared, you know. I would have shared, hey, do you remember that time Jesus spent five times? It's not the story he went either. In fact, it's a story, it's a great story, it's a story that many of you know, but it doesn't seem to lack a whole lot of punch to me. But let's look at it. Peter uses the story right here in the scriptures that made an impact on him, and that was the transfiguration. Let me just give you a quick background before we jump over there. But in the beginning of chapter 9 in Luke, Jesus sends out the twelve. It's pretty much in the middle of his ministry. He, the, the 12 disciples have heard him teach. They've seen him heal. They are, they are pretty well prepared. And Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out. I want you to heal people in the name of Jesus. And I want you to share the good news with them wherever you go. And then the disciples come back and they debrief. All right? Like all good teachers do. And then at that moment, Jesus feeds 5,000. He's tutoring, he's encouraging his disciples to listen to him. And God does, again, an amazing miracle, probably feeds 10 or 12 or 15,000 total people on a few biscuits and some fish. Then afterwards... Jesus is gathering his disciples together, and and he just asks his disciples, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they give him some answers. And then he said, who do you think I am? 
And Peter is the one, again, I, I probably would have put this story in. Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the Son of God. Good job, Peter. Great job. And then Jesus continues in that chapter just teaching about his death and talking about suffering and letting the, the folks understand completely the reality of what following Jesus would look like. All right. Eight days later, chapter 9, verse 28. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. You, this is just amazing because you don't understand how often Jesus went to a solitude or or a place of, of, um, to be alone in order to pray. This time he said, hey, you three. Peter, James, and John, let's go up. Let's go to this mountain. So he goes up and he begins to pray. A little bit later in that section, you'll find out it must have been a long prayer because Peter, James, and John fall asleep. So while Jesus is praying, his face is transformed and Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. The boys awake from a deep sleep, seeing the glow on Jesus' face and seeing Moses and Elijah. Now again, I don't think they had pictures. I don't know if there were name tags on them. I don't understand all that. But I know one thing. Jesus, Moses, Elijah. And they're waking up. They're looking at this trio. And then the scriptures say Moses and Elijah are about to leave. And Peter blurts out, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just build, you know, a, a few tents. I'll set up a few tents. You guys can stay here a little bit longer. I don't really know what else to say, but sounds like a good plan. Wasn't such a good plan. A cloud covered them. Terror gripped them. And God spoke. Have you ever wondered what God's literal voice sounds like? I don't know if he spoke in Hebrew, Aramaic, Koine. All right, don't know. But they knew it was God. And he only said a few things. He said, this is my son. This is my chosen one. And if you look in Luke chapter 9, the part I want you to focus on, listen to him. And then the scriptures say, after God spoke, Jesus was alone. No more guys. Just the three disciples and Jesus. The next morning, they came down the mountain. Now, my question is, why does Peter pull out this story in his three-year adventure? And I'll tell you why. Because in verses 19 through 21, it's critical. Peter is talking about the Word of God. How important the Scriptures are. 
And the story that made a huge impact on Peter was this story. I don't know if Peter and the boys had a tendency not to listen. But I am sensing after this incident, the fear of God was amazingly present. He's just saying, Jesus, he's my son. When he talks, you listen. And the idea isn't just, oh, that's a nice thought, Jesus. The idea is, okay, Jesus, if you say to do something, I'm going to do it. You pack a wallop with your words. Peter wants them to know and remember God's word. God's word has unbelievable authority. God's word is unbelievably important. Look at verse 19. Because of that experience, because of what Peter heard up on that mountain, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. If you mark Bibles or you underline in your flat screens, this is critical. Do that. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in the scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Sometimes we look at the word prophet or prophecy as some kind of an um, uh, understanding what the future may hold. All Peter is saying is a, a prophecy or a prophet speaks God's word. Yes, there may be times they're letting the children of Israel know what is going to happen because of their rebellion. But the truth is they are revealing to them what God wants them to know. The prophet spoke God's word. Pay close attention. I'm not going to be around, Peter says. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be reminding you of this. But pay close attention. Their word is like a light in a dark room. It's murky black out. But you know what God's word is? It gives you the ability to see your surroundings. They are God's word, the creator's words, the king of kings' words. Above all, scriptures didn't come from people who just thought of writing some really cool things. Not at all. Just the opposite. Quite the contrary. Prophets were moved continually, carried by the Holy Spirit. You know, Luke uses this same verb here twice, describing the wind blowing into a sailing ship and keeping it moving. So what Peter was saying this is that God gave these words to the prophets. The prophets heard from God and spoke the very words of God. 
So many of you know 2 Timothy chapter 3. But starting in verse 15, Paul's talking to Timothy. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. That's all the Old Testament right there, what they had. And they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired or God-breathed and is useful to us to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right. God uses God's Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. I'll tell you, if any of you have any tendency at any time to forget how important God's Word is, just read through Psalm 119. Now there's, I'm just going to warn you, there's a lot of verses there. But all but two of them talk about how important God's Word is. At the very end of Jesus' life, when he is praying to his Father in John chapter 17, one of the things that Jesus says is this, Father, you gave me all these different tasks, but I want you to know this, I gave them your word. I was faithful in giving them their word. I'm going to be leaving, but your word is here. And they have it. Now, just a sidebar. And I know in some ways, you may think this is not very important. But I do think many of us in the evangelical church today probably treat the scriptures lightly. We have so many tools, whether it's the internet, we have so many Bibles, five, six, eight, ten different versions, all in our bookshelves. And sometimes we just treat it casually. Well, I'd like to share with you just a little bit of how the Jews felt about the Torah scroll in the first century. The Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament. And to a Jew, this was critical. Later on, it ended up holding all of the prophets' words. So the Torah was this humongous scroll that held all of the Older Testament. It would usually have an elaborate cloth mantle covering. It was placed in the synagogue in an ark. They literally called it an ark in the front of the synagogue, which would be very ornate and decorative. The Torah was lifted in a certain way. And every time the Torah moved, not by itself, but through a rabbi or a priest, people would just face it out of reverence. They would often touch it if they could, if the Torah was walking down this aisle. Or they would kiss it if they were able to get close enough. Jewish leaders continue today to give specific instructions on the actual lifting up of the Torah, which is called the Hagbah, and reading the Torah, which is called the Aliyah, as part of their Sabbath worship service. In fact, I'm going to take just a moment or two to give you a little bit of an instructional video. It does 
makes sense. So please bear with me. Let's watch this clip. Instead, we say, Mishakoch, may your strength increase. 
We have the same relationship with Torah. We can't live without it. But when we get close to it, because it's so powerful, it takes some of our energy from us. It drains some of our strength. So when we come off the bimah, people say to us, Yishakah, may your strength be increased. And we say back to them, Baruch Tehiyah, may you be a blessing also. You know, if we were a synagogue and we had the Torah, you'd say, Rick, that would be an awesome video. And then we'd do it all right. The reason I shared it is that there is unbelievable respect for God's Word. Not again that I expect every time we open the Scriptures that we would kiss it or we'd walk by and we'd touch it and kiss it and, and there would be just great reverence. Not even touching but but making sure that nothing is smudged or nothing is wrecked. I guess I just wanted to show you is that all the way from the very beginning, when God's word was presented, shown to the people that it wasn't just a rabbi's words or, or a priest's word, this was God's almighty word. See, God's word will have an impact. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's alive and it's powerful. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 10, said this, The rain and snow come down from heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. What other promise is that? To be able to know God's word and understand God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to convict and encourage and strengthen and empower. It is so important. In fact, the last illustration that Jesus gave on his longest sermon on the earth, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he gave this illustration. One again, we tell a lot in Sunday school. A wise man built his house upon a rock. I don't know. It goes something like that. But the whole idea is this. There are two men. One builds a house on sand, a, well, flimsy foundation. And the other man builds his house on concrete and rock. And when the storms come, not even if, those that build their house on a rock, they will stand firm. The rock is the scriptures. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. And listens isn't, again, ah, nice. It's obeying. It's opening up this scripture and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? 
Because there's going to be some storms coming, God. There's going to be some things I don't get. There's going to be some hard times, God. And you know what? I need your word. As I wrap up, the prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 66, verse 2. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Those who tremble at my word. Tremble at my word. I guess that would be my encouragement today. That we would be a community that trembles at God's word. That this would be so critical for us that we would read it, we would write it, we would apply it, we would transfer it, we would talk about it. We would allow it to change our lives and transform our lives. And even when it doesn't make sense, we tremble and say, God, you know what's best. In light of Peter's words, God's word is critical. It's a priority. I'm pretty sure no matter where you came in today, that your attitude and my attitude needs to grow little in respect and honor and the importance. I think if that happens, our calendars will look different. You will make God's word a priority. And you will make helping others know and listen to God's word a priority. Just what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is powerful. The prophet Isaiah says your word is like a hammer. It's like a fire. And, and Lord, fires and hammers make an impact wherever they go. Lord, I think there are times we do take your word casually. We're rather flippant about it. We just occasionally open it up. We may at times listen to you. We pray, Father, that that would change. We know that your word will endure. We know that your word is life. We know that it quenches our thirst. May we be faithful. Not only to learn it, but to share it. We pray this in your son's amazing name. Amen.